Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show. Patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Looking for a lawyer, looking for a lawyer, Donald Trump, looking for a lawyer. Anybody out there want a job? (laughs) Nobody wants to work for him. Hey, what do you say, folks? What do you know on a Tuesday, March 27? Hello, hello, hello. On this Tuesday, we welcome you to the Bill Press Show. Another round, uh, looking at the news of the day, trying to make sense of it all and sort it all out. What's real, what's fake? Uh, That's pretty easy to do. Anything coming out of the White House is fake. Uh, Anything else is real, no matter what the White House says. Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. We've got a great lineup today. Uh, A lot of issues to talk about. Yes, indeed, it is getting so bad with the Stormy Daniels, Karen McDougal um, scandal, if you want to call it that, that uh, even the lawyers now are hiring lawyers. So Trump's got lawyers who have lawyers, (laughs) who have lawyers, I guess, Several levels levels of lawyers are trying to uh, defend the president and hide him from the accusations, which seem more and more credible. Uh, meanwhile, Donald Trump finally uh, doing something in response to the Russia poisoning of a Russian uh, diplomat uh, on British soil, joining 23 other countries in expelling some Russian diplomats from the United States. And uh, the president came through with another one of his phony promises, uh, making it official to ban any transgender person from person from serving in the United States military. Just three of the big stories we'll be looking at today with our guest and with all of you. And most importantly, we love hearing from you. Your comments on the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Lots to jump into. We'll do so in just a minute. But first, this is the Full Court Press. All right, just a couple of other stories making news. By the way, did you hear about this hack in Atlanta? This story is nuts. So somebody actually hacked into the government websites in the city of Atlanta, and it's left a lot of their government services completely useless. You can't make bill payments online. 
So, like, if you have an agreement with the city for... Uh, you get a parking ticket? If you get a parking ticket. So, they, it's actually on that point. They said, if you have a parking ticket and you haven't been able to pay it, you will not be penalized oh. with a late fee because you can't pay anything to the city online. Yesterday, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms actually talked about this. This is much bigger than ransomware attack. This really is an attack on our government. So, as I mentioned, bill pi- bill payment sites are down. People will not be charged if ticket payments are late as a result. Uh, they also said that um, uh, police officers have to write up reports by hand. They can't do it anymore uh-huh. sort of on the computer, which yeah. if you know any police officers, you know that is the one thing they hate doing is having to do more paperwork. But, like, it's completely down, and it's not. it hasn't been fixed yet. They've got no. this. Sort of, they've got everything sort of shut down and, and the attack, like, out of the system, but they don't have the system back up yet, apparently. So. You know, one uh, one little good thing about that may be, like, when they stop you now, you know, they they get in their computer and see if you have anything else, yeah. right? Another speeding ticket somewhere that, unpaid, they won't be able to do that. Yeah, I guess not be able to do that. It's a good point. It's a very good point. Uh, by the way, Final <laughs> Four is set for the women. The NCAA tournament last uh-huh. night. Uh, we got our final four. Uh, Notre Dame beat Oregon 84-74. to And the defending champion, South Carolina, they got walloped by UConn, Ooh. man. They got beat 94-65. to yeah. Not even close at all. Uh, but it was the number one and number two seeds in both games, so now we have it set. And what's funny is all number one seeds. It's Louisville versus Mississippi State and Notre Dame versus UConn. Those games will happen on Friday of this week. so uh, And the men's is Saturday. The men's is this weekend, yes, Saturday. Saturday. Sunday yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, So, I mean, it's 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 pretty funny how this has worked out, right? Because this, this doesn't always happen, that you have all number one seeds that have advanced to the Final Four. But in the case of the women's tournament, that's exactly what we got. Uh, do any of the women's team have a nun on their side? No, there are no nuns this time around, Bill. <laughs> well, you know, God's on the side of Loyola, no doubt about Looks it. Looks that way. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, it's getting so bad that even uh, the lawyers now have lawyers in the Stormy Stormy Daniels scandal. (laughs) Hello, everybody. Meanwhile, Donald Trump can't find a lawyer to, uh, to hire because nobody wants to work for him. What a mess. And we're right in the middle of it here. What do you say? It's The Bill Press Show on Tuesday. March 27, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the program. Welcome to our studio right here on Capitol Hill. It's a nice little studio. You'll enjoy it here. Uh, and we love having you with us as we uh, reach out to you coast to coast, all everywhere in this great land of ours. We're there with you to talk about the news of the day. Try to sort it all out and make some sense of all of it, what's real, what's not, and um, and then move on with the day. So for the next two hours... A buckle down, a buckle up, or whatever, and let's go. Good to have you with us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Great to see you on television on Free Speech TV and uh, our big standby, of course, the radio out in the greater Chicago area, WCPT. Hello, hello, Chicago. Hello, Indiana. 
Indian, Indianapolis and beyond on Indiana Talks. Uh, yeah, it is uh, the one thing. The president just can't get rid of this Stormy Daniels mess. It is not going away. And somebody, both the Washington Post and New York Times point out today, one thing you notice about that's very unusual about this is the silence, publicly at least, privately, apparently, he is talking a lot about it, but the public silence from Donald Trump about Stormy Daniels. He hasn't publicly, through his spokespersons he has, but he has not publicly denied it. He has not publicly, or about Karen McDougal either, he has not publicly said anything about them or talked about them, and he hasn't tweeted any angry insults about them. He hasn't said that what Stormy Daniels said on 60 Minutes Sunday night, which apparently he watched. We're told by the White House insiders that he did watch it. Privately, he's been telling people he didn't think she was credible. But we all expected a tweet storm after 60 Minutes or maybe the next morning or in the middle of the night. Didn't come. Crickets from Donald Trump on Stormy Daniels. In fact, the White House points out, I mean, White House, the New York Times points out this morning that since being elected president, uh, since he took office, Donald Trump has tweeted over 2,900 times. <laughs> By the way, <clears throat> that's a lot of tweets. Peter, that's even more than you, I think. That's a lot of tweets, man. Right, it is. That's a it lot is. of tweets. Okay. I mean, if I do one a day, maybe, maybe, sometimes two a day, yeah. I mean, but 2,900 since that's he took That's definitely more than I have since he took office. <laughs> and... He has not, he has, we know, he's attacked on Twitter, I mean, <clears throat> his attorney general, um, Bob Corker, Marco Rubio, uh, Ted Cruz, uh, Mitch McConnell, Dianne Feinstein. You cannot keep track of all the people he's attacked. There are only two people on the planet that Donald Trump apparently has not, at least two people in his orbit, that he has not attacked on Twitter. Stormy Daniels and Vladimir Putin. Yikes. Think about that. That says a lot. That really does. Well, it's two people he's been in bed with, apparently. Two people he's been in bed with. Very good. And you know what? It raises the big, big why question about both. What does Vladimir Putin have on Donald Trump that Donald Trump will not criticize him? Even after he expelled 60 de- uh, diplomats yesterday. He didn't say anything critical about Vladimir Putin. And after Vladimir Putin stole the election by putting his opponent in jail, Donald Trump called to congratulate him, even he, though he's advised not to. He, To your point, he's criticized everybody. If there's something yes, he hasn't yes. criticized, like, oh. I could totally see him criticize. Like, I could see him criticizing Melania on Twitter, even. I would Absolutely. not be shocked. I would no, not be shocked. I would not. No, I would not either. Why did she wear that right. red dress last night? Like you right, could, you could like write that. the tweet. You yeah. know exactly yes. what right. he'd say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so why Vladimir Putin and why not Stormy Daniels? It's got to be because he knows she's got the goods on him. It's got to be because he knows that, first of all, he knows that she is one smart cookie. And she is one media-savvy person. And she's got one damn 
good attorney, and he knows she might very well get him in court or at least have to give a deposition. And he knows if it comes to that, his goose is cooked with the American people and with Melania. Not with his base. Of course, his base will love him no matter what he does. Uh, but it's got to be. Anyhow, I think it's very. And the latest is, of course, yesterday, the day after her appearance on 60 Minutes, which, by the way, got 22 million people. 22 million people of whom I would probably bet that 21 million 500,000 said, I believe her. Yeah. And not him. Yeah. Huh? Totally. Don't you think? Totally. Yeah. I mean, even some of the Trump supporters, they talked to some Trump supporters yesterday, <laughs> women, saying, you know, what's your reaction to the Stormy interview? And they were just like, yeah, he probably did that, but whatever. Yeah, right. So, like, even, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, even if you did believe her, you just, like, a lot of people that are Trump supporters, they just didn't care. Or even if they stick with Trump, they still believe her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so 22 million people, the biggest uh, number since uh, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama appeared together. That was not a scandal. They just appeared together. But the two of them on 60 Minutes got, that's the biggest audience since then. It's wait amazing. A minute, wait a minute. Um, wait a minute. So Donald Trump went on 60 Minutes, right, after he won the election. Uh, didn't get such a big draw. I guess he didn't no. pull as big numbers as Barack and Michelle or Stormy Daniels. Uh, he didn't know in the Washington Mall either. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> but at any rate, so this uh, yesterday, the day after uh, that interview, there were more uh, um, legal filings back and forth. Um, Michael Cohen, uh, one of the pres- uh, president's attorney on this, outside attorney on the Stormy Daniels matter, he sued Stormy Daniels uh, and, and for and it, it issued a cease and desist a lawsuit uh, demanding that she cease and desist from talking about this at all to anywhere. Yeah, she's going to do that. Uh, and meanwhile, Michael Avenatti, who is Stormy Daniels' attorney, uh, he filed, uh, he sued Michael Cohen and Donald Trump for defamation. So they're going back and forth, uh, and it's getting so intense that Michael Cohen now has hired his own attorney. Follow this now. So Donald Trump, to deal with Stormy Daniels, as Michael Cohen is his attorney, Michael Cohen has a guy named David Schwartz as his attorney. We don't know who David Schwartz's attorney is, right? Not but, yet, right. <laughs> <laughs> but the attorneys, <laughs> so it's getting so funny. The attorneys have attorneys, yes. And Avenatti, who is um, as media savvy as, as uh, Donald Trump and Stormy Daniels was on Good Morning America yesterday, uh, talking about this threat, and if that, if there's anything really n- new uh, in the 60 Minutes interview, it was the details of this threat that we had heard hinted about uh, that Stormy Daniels told it happened in a parking lot outside of a gym in Las Vegas where she had a little infant daughter in the car. Uh, who was responsible for that? Here's Michael Avenatti. It had to have come from someone associated with Mr. Trump. There's no other place for it to have come from. It didn't come from the magazine. That makes no sense. It certainly didn't come from my client. There's only one other place that it could have come from. And that threat was terrifying to my client. And how about that non-disclosure agreement or that NDA? Uh, Didn't Stormy Daniels sign that saying that she would not talk? Our position is the NDA was never executed, and therefore it was invalid for a whole host of reasons, and we're confident that a court's going to find that. Yes, right. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not an attorney. I don't know about that, but it, you can. we've seen pictures of it. She signs under 
what was it? Penny something. What? They're, they're, I forgot. Eliases from uh, aliases. Aliases, yeah. Aliases, yeah. thank you. For I both. Forgot, I forgot what hers was. Uh, well, her initials were PP. Yeah. And his initials were DD. Yeah. David Dennison or something like that. Uh, but uh, I was going to make a, a, a P tape joke, uh, but P- I'm not going to make a P tape joke. Well, <laughs> I did see somebody this morning said, everything about this is gross. Yeah, it really is, man. <laughs> right. why, didn't they have, why didn't they have to pick PP as her initials? But yeah. at any rate. Uh, and but, double D for his. And double D. And where, yeah. <laughs> and, where, <laughs> and where the DD supposed to sign, the DD did not sign. Does that make it invalid or not? <laughs> Hell, I don't know. But um, that, that's, a good, that's, good, that's a good question for a judge, and only a judge could answer it. So that's where that is right now. Uh, meanwhile, um, so <laughs> Donald Trump's attorney followed this. Donald Trump's attorney, Michael Cohen, filed the defamation suit. David Schwartz, Michael Cohen's attorney, attacks Stormy Daniels. She's in it for the money, and Michael Avenatti is in it for all the press and money also. Oh, I see. Okay, right. That's, that's, that sums it up. She's just, yeah, she's just in it for the money. It, uh, this documented, uh, uh, documented, it, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Anyhow, it was the subject of interest, of course, at the briefing yesterday, uh, and Raj Shah, the deputy press secretary, uh, filling in for Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, said, uh, no, you know what, here's the story. It just, we don't believe anything she said. Well, the president doesn't believe that uh, any of the claims that uh, Ms. Daniels made last night in the interview are accurate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I, f- I find it kind of a little funny that the White House does use her porn name. Right. Stormy Daniels, not Stephanie Clifford, which is her real name, right? You'd think they might use Miss Clifford rather than <laughs> her screen name. But, yeah. Um, they've sort of adopted Maybe they're it. fans. I think we all have, right? Yeah, I think so, right? <laughs> uh, and in terms of the big question, did the president watch 60 Minutes? You know, I'm not going to get into uh, you know what, what the president may or may not have seen. I'll just say that uh, he's consistently denied these allegations. Ah, uh, what? Yes, uh, but we've, we're here from other sources. In fact, Aswin Subsang from the Daily Beast is going to join us a little bit later. He's got some great sources uh, inside the White House who said, yes, the president did watch. Um, so if nothing happened, right, why would they pay her $130,000 not to talk 11 days before the election? False charges are settled out of court all the time. You have to ask Michael Cohen about the specifics. Oh, have to ask Michael Cohen. Have to ask I love Michael. that line they, yeah. from the White House. Mm-hmm. Yeah. False charges are settled out of court all the time. Like, for a guy as self-described alpha as Donald Trump mm-hmm. is and will, like, look for the fight and have the fight, did he really settle this out of court because she's making it up? Like, that's their line? I don't buy that. I, I don't either. I mean, um, D- Donald Trump, first of all, we know he sued at the drop of a hat, right? He had 400 and some lawsuits pending when he started running for president. Um, but he, it's just not his style at all to pay somebody or have somebody paid that much money for just making something up. Right. 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 No. I mean, you just don't do that. Uh, so at any rate, that's kind of where it rests right now. Um, but two other two other considerations about this. One, I, I mentioned this briefly yesterday, but I saw more and more about uh, speculation about yesterday. Not speculation, but reporting. 
There are there are uncanny parallels between the story of Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels, which I think adds to the credibility of both. Both of them say they met Donald Trump at this tournament in Lake Tahoe. Uh, Trump told McDougal there were a lot of porn stars around that wanted to get together with him, laughing about that. They both met up with him at the Beverly Hills Hotel. They both were invited to Trump Tower. He told both of he what both of them were paid off not to talk. Stormy 130, Karen McDougal 150, and he told both of them they reminded him of his daughter. Ugh. I mean, again, getting back to how everything about this. And by the way, and both of them happened. Those affairs happened. Alleged affairs, I guess we have to say, maybe between uh, starting in 2006 and going into 2007. So there were they're really almost the same story. So he was not just cheating on Melania. (laughs) He was cheating on Stormy or he was cheating on Karen depending on which one uh, you think um, was was his number one choice, right? <laughs> That's the thing. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Um, Some people might think his wife would have been his number uh, one choice, but apparently well, not. Apparent, apparently not. And there's one other dimension to this, which now people are starting to pay attention to, and that is this could have an impact. Republicans are really starting to worry that this could have an impact on the 2018 midterm elections when... Yeah, gun safety is going to be an issue. Um, the tax cut bill is going to be an issue. The economy is going to be an issue. But the president's behavior, this is going to continue. This has not gone away. The president's behavior could really become an issue. In fact, there was another Republican congressman uh, yesterday. Ryan Costello of Pennsylvania announced actually on Sunday that he was not going to run for re-election. And one of the reasons he gave is because he knew that if he ran for re-election, the number one question would be, where do you stand on Donald Trump? And he realized he didn't want to be out there and could not be out there defending Donald Trump's behavior. He, he said that. He said, if I had a town hall this week, it would be question after question. Do you believe him or do you believe her? Why do you believe her? He said in an interview that he didn't want or he wasn't going to run for election because he knew he would be inundated with questions about Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels. So here's a Republican member of Congress saying, I'm getting out of here because I know that's going to be the issue in 2018. Imagine if Whoa. everybody, Whoa. Who, imagine if everybody uh, who voted for uh, Donald uh, Trump had that same sort of crisis of conscience right like you're gonna have to go to a family reunion or to work or just hang out with your friends and someone's gonna have to ask you defend your vote for donald trump right imagine if everybody actually thought about that for a second like i don't want to give this guy too much credit because he no right but he's uh, still a republican at the end of the day but yeah like i I, politically how do you go out there and do that no that and uh, and I, I think, and that's a suburban uh, Pennsylvania district, right? Not a big city district, suburbs, uh, outside of Philadelphia. Um, I, I'm, I'm, you know, put this, you know, he's not the only Republican, uh, and they're all up for re-election this year in the House. He's not the only Republican knowing that um, everybody, everybody, 
every Republican running for office is, is going to be asked and should be asked, what do you think about Donald Trump and his, not just what do you think about the tax cuts, what do you think about banning transgender from the military, what do you think about uh, the fact that he's doing nothing on climate change, what do you think about the stupid wall, what do you think about the fact that he killed the Dreamers program, on and on. But what do you think about his personal behavior, and is this something that you uh, can condone? Or in, uh, in the president of the United States paying off a porn star not to talk about an affair, um, they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with it. I, I think they'll see others follow that. Uh, and on the legal front as well, um, it's reported this morning there were two more. We talked about Ted Olson the other day, who was um, uh, one of the leading attorneys, certainly most prominent attorneys, former Solicitor General of the United States, uh, prominent Republican attorneys in Washington, D.C., who was uh, asked to represent Donald Trump. He turned him down. It's reported this morning that there are two other uh, ver- former federal prosecutors, very top-notch white-collar attorneys here in Washington, D.C., Dan Webb and Tom Buchanan. Don't know either one of them, uh, but they have great reputations. They were also invited into the White House, uh, and Donald Trump asked them if they would represent him, and both of them said no. So at this point, with John Dowd retiring, resigning last week because the president would not follow his advice, the president, as we reported yesterday, but still even more true today, does not have any attorney representing him in his dealing with Robert Mueller. I have to say. Robert Mueller. Mueller. It was a week ago that I was hosting, and I said, I wonder if there are going to be any lawyers that will turn down Donald Trump. I just wondered out loud, right? This was before. This was right after Joe DeGeneva, who is now no longer with (laughs) with the team, had agreed that he was going to be a part of it. And I said, no, no, there'll probably be plenty of lawyers that'll still take the job. And since then, we've had like four lawyers turn him down. Right. Lawyers. Yeah, right. I mean, lawyers who I have some of my best friends are lawyers, but clear, yes. their reputation is right. They'll represent anybody that walks in the door, sure. right? A ham sandwich walks no in the door. No, no, no offense, offense but friends. that's the reputation, sure. right? <laughs> uh, and of course, in the middle of this, the president sees Joe DeGeneva on television, loves what he says about the FBI being totally crooked and trying to frame Donald, frame him for crimes he didn't commit. Those are Joe's words. And the president says, I like that guy. Let's hire him. He announces that he's hiring him uh, and his wife because they're a legal team, uh, Victoria Tunzing. Uh, and uh, they go into the White House and the president decides, I don't like this guy after all. Uh, and by the way, I was trying to remember the word that was used by somebody in the White House to describe one of the reasons Donald Trump didn't like them. It was not that they were shabbily dressed. That's why I thought the word, the word was... Uh, they're disheveled. What does that mean? That's not his nice. shirt. His shirt tail was out. It's a wrinkled shirt or disheveled. Disheveled. His fly was down. I don't. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. It can I mean, mean a lot of things. I'm just trying to think of disheveled. Where you would look if you were disheveled. I guess. Yeah. Um, but so Donald Trump was a little turned off, but the fact that they were disheveled, their dress was disheveled, and he announced uh, that they had a conflict of interest, so therefore he couldn't hire them. Oh, man, what a mess. What a mess. Uh, Meanwhile, in the middle of all this, go figure. CNN reports this morning uh, that Donald Trump's approval rating is higher than it's been uh, in almost a year. It's higher than it's been since his 100-day mark. It is a record high. 
stratospheric high of 42%. So uh, <clears throat> he's still underwater. More people don't like him than do like him. But I don't it, think that's going to change. By the way, in December, it was 36. So it's gone up to 42%. What has he done since December that's made it go fi- up? I'm trying to figure no, out. I can't figure it out either. No, I was just trying. That's what I mean. Go figure, right? But um, and it, for, for, Maybe it's finally all the sanctions he put on Russia. Yeah. Uh, for what it's worth. <laughs> but even even though some of uh, the smartest people have, uh, like his economic advisor, Gary Cohn, uh, and others have left him, don't think that Donald Trump is not without um, the brightest minds, the best and the brightest he's got around him. Uh, nobody better or brighter, of course, than Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, who's the biggest dumbass I think has ever walked in the halls of Washington, D.C. I think he is such a glorious phony. Uh, at any rate... And I, and I, I hesitate I mean, to say this. He, he's got the face that is just perfect for slapping. Just a smug... Does. Yeah, right. A-hole, like, with every word that he utters. Yeah, and this is a guy who's a billionaire, right, who goes out and spends a million dollars so he and his wife can fly down to some, what was it, some beauty contest or something in Atlanta. Uh, and... Um, <laughs> Uh, and he's also the guy that is always at Donald Trump's side, cannot get enough of being in photographs. So you see him all all kinds of places. So Which is weird for a Treasury really Secretary. For a Treasury Secretary, yeah, right. Uh, a little puppy dog following down Donald Trump around. And so Sunday, he's on with Chris Wallace on Fox News Sunday. But just to show you how bright he is and how informed he is, and how he knows the Constitution and the law and everything, and the and the what limits what powers the president has and he doesn't have. He's talking about this spending bill, which Donald Trump. Remember, we talked about it yesterday. The White House announces he's going to sign it. Then he watches Fox and Friends Friday morning, and they're not happy with it. So then Donald Trump tweets out, "I'm going to veto this thing after all," which sent the entire Capitol into uh, you know a turmoil. Uh, until he until he did sign it, but complained about it and grumbled about it the whole time that he did. And Steven Mnuchin says, well, here's how we can fix this. Listen to Chris Wallace, who does know this stuff, who is smart, who's trying to tell Mnuchin, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. I'm not going to comment on what the president will do, but as you heard him say, he, he's not planning on doing this again. I think I think they should give the president a line-item veto. These things that, should well, be looked at. That's been ruled at. unconstitutional by the Supreme Court, sir. <laughs> well, I- again, Congress well. could pass a rule, okay, <laughs> that allows them to do it. No, no, but, sir, it'd be a constitutional amendment. Chris, we don't we don't need to get into a debate in, in terms of there's different ways of doing this. That's the best. That's that the best. Is the best. We guys yeah. think that get nailed. No. no, we don't have to get into a debate. You know why? Because you know what you're talking about, and I don't know crap. Pretty much. Yeah, that's exactly pretty, pretty what you're saying. Much. Right. And by the way, so this please was don't embarrass news. me anymore. This was Fox News. I that know. He got that this smack Fox down. News. Right. This whole Ronald Reagan. That was his line. You need to give me a line item veto. That was his excuse for why Ronald Reagan put us in the poorhouse in terms of a national debt, right? Because I don't have enough power. No, it's because you're spending too much money, all right? And you're not vetoing enough bills. At any rate, I just love that Steve Mnuchin getting called out by uh, by Chris Wallace. Thank God there's somebody on Fox News, right, who, who just <clears throat> won't take the propaganda. Meanwhile... 
it is 2018, and one of the biggest impacts on 2018 is what, and and on 2020, of course, but even this year is what's happening on reapportionment. Some very important cases in front of the Supreme Court. Some very important cases already decided by state courts. It's so important. We wanted to get a little update on that. Welcome our good friend David Daly, author of Rat Eft, the true story behind the secret plan to steal America's democracy. Joining us next here in studio. Stay with us. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. All right, on this Tuesday, March 27, uh, the Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, hope you're off to a the day, uh, off to a good start to a great day. I uh, want to remind you, uh, those of you out in the Chicago area, I look forward to seeing all of you on a Wednesday, April 4, Wednesday, April 4, coming out to the Frugal Muse Bookstore, great bookstore in Darien, uh, Illinois. Hope you all come out and uh, say hello. We'll be talking about my new book, From the Left, Life in the Crossfire, and just talk about anything happening in politics today. And Illinois has got a lot going on in politics today. Looking forward to that. Seeing you out there, 6.30 p.m. Wednesday, October, uh, April 4. Mark your calendar. Uh, check out Frugal Muse Bookstore online. You can give them a call, email them, say, save a seat for me. I uh, want to get together. Uh, a couple little, uh, I just noticed a little breaking news, uh, not breaking news, but news things uh, that uh, I hadn't seen before but during the break. One is the governor of uh, Arizona has suspended the self-driving Uber cars uh, for the moment. Which I think is a good idea. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't get in one anyhow, but especially after uh, that tragic accident last week. It's like uh, I, it's like I've always said. I, I'm not opposed to self-driving cars. I'll probably ride in one in my lifetime, but I won't be the first person to ride in them. But it also seems to me to start with Uber yeah. or any of the ride lift services. I think it may not be there. And the other thing is, according to Congressman Mark Amadell from uh, Nevada, he says that the rumor in the House is that Paul Ryan is going to resign in the next 30 to 60 days. The Speaker's office has denied that, but that's a rumor uh, apparently to one member, according to one member of Congress, that is going around the Republican caucus. And of course, if Paul Ryan resigns, then our guy, man, the yeah. iron stash. The iron stash, iron stash. <laughs> moves up. Yeah, how about it? I think you can beat him anyway. But uh, that. So we'll keep our we'll keep our eye on that. Uh, and we welcome, uh, as I mentioned, David Daly, uh, who is with the Fair Vote, uh, communications director of Fair Vote, and also author of the great book we've talked so much about, Rat Eft. Uh, the true story behind the secret plan to steal America's democracy. David, always good to see you. Pleasure to be back. Hi. Welcome. Good to see you again. Yeah, and welcome back. Uh, in the meantime, we've been at it for a little bit and stirring up uh, you know, a little dust here along the way, Peter. Always, always. We're on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Remember, you can chime in with any comment you want during the show or, or any hour of the day, frankly. Uh, Romaine weighs in, says, disheveled. We were talking oh, about yes, yes. Joe what does that mean? Disheveled. What does it mean? He said Bannon was disheveled and looked like he smelled of booze oh. and stale sweat all the time. Now, okay. By the, the way, nerve. very good. I think a disheveled. Yes, Steve Bannon would fit that definition. Uh, what did he wear? Like five shirts. Five at a time? shirts at a time. He yeah. didn't look very. He looked hungover constantly. Uh, so yeah, if you want to, if you want Body disheveled, odor. yeah, look, look there. Armpit smelled. KG weighs in and says oh. the new slogan for the Trump team is MAGA. 
make attorneys get attorneys <laughs> with oh, Michael Cohen having to get oh, an attorney and very, all of that. That's, very good. That's that pretty good. Make good. attorneys get, get attorneys. attorneys. <laughs> uh, and yesterday, by the way, we had a we, we had a poll up. Will the March for Our Lives change the political landscape of the 2018 midterms and beyond? The poll is now closed. Big vote there. Uh, 74% say yes. 11% say no, and 15% say they are unsure. So uh, there you go. That vote is now closed. But check us out on Twitter at BP Show for more polls and more comments. Okay, you got it. So, David Daly, let's start in the. Uh, so, the general topic here is <laughs> gerrymandering, redistricting, drawing the new lines for Congress. They The, the, the new lines will. After 20, the 2020 census. After so the 2020 the census. 2021. Right, in 2021. Meanwhile, we're still operating under the ones that were in 2011, That right? the Republicans drew after a really diabolical plan to take control of state legislatures and be sure that they had the pens in their hands and only their hands in all of these states. Well, you call it diabolical. I call it smart on it's, their it's part. Brilliant. It was, it was a brilliant, brilliant plan. Right. Well, it's so funny because we've been talking to David about the, this for years now. Right. Yep. And yep. now it's really come to the front of so now, the political uh, it, it, it scene. Really, people realize yeah. how important it is. You're ahead of your time in writing that book. But uh, so uh, that that plan you're referring to, uh, just bringing people up to date, uh, was was called Red Map. Exactly. It was designed by Carl Rove and Ed Gillespie, who was RNC chair at the time, I believe. Carl Republican Rove. State Leadership Committee. Yes. Mm-hmm. OK. And Carl Rove in the White House. And they uh, raised about $25, $30 million. That's all it cost. But by the way, which sounds like a lot of money, and it is, but it's not a lot of money compared to what the Koch brothers spend every year or for politics. Or when it takes $100 million to lose a Senate seat in Massachusetts or New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. So for that amount of money, they identified states where they thought they could flip the legislature from blue to red uh, prior to 2010. Uh, or at, exactly. uh, 20, in 2010, in also prior to 2011, uh, so that they would control the state legislatures and the governorships and therefore could redraw lines to enable more Republicans to be elected to Congress. They needed 107 state legislative seats in 16 states, and by winning those elections, they had the power to draw on their own 193 of the 435 Jesus. U.S. House seats. God. Puts you pretty close to the 218 you need for... Yeah. A majority. Yeah. But right. I mean, more importantly, it was in all of the key swing states. So you're talking about Pennsylvania, Ohio, North Carolina, Michigan, and, Wisconsin. And those are the and districts that we're operating under now. Those are the districts we're operating under now. Uh, and they have not. With a couple of exceptions, which we'll talk about. Right. Absolutely. And yeah. Republicans in those five states alone hold a 48-21 advantage. Those are five mm. bluish, purplish uh, swing states. That is a key reason for what are they again? Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, North Carolina, Wisconsin. Forty. It's forty-eight Republicans, twenty-one Democrats. It's more than two and a half to one. Hardly reflective. So you ask, how did those people get elected? The answer is gerrymandering. Gerrymandering, right? Yes. The districts are drawn so that they could get elected, and And they cannot lose. And cannot lose. Hard to dislodge. Very difficult. All right, so you said that um, they needed to win 107 seats in 16 states, or they were targeting 16 yes. states. They needed 107 seats. How many did they get? Well, that they won about 600 seats that year. God. Um, God. Yeah. 
And it was the biggest year in, you know, decades for the Republicans at the state legislative level. But in some ways, it's not important that they won several hundred seats. Right. It's important they, that, that, that they won these key, the key states. Right. And right. those 107 key sure. states were really, really important. I mean, yeah. folks talk about Pennsylvania a lot. And we've seen what has happened in Pennsylvania. Republicans drew themselves a 13-5 congressional map, 72% of the congressional seats in Pennsylvania with less than 50% of the vote, and locked themselves in super majorities in their state House and state Senate. They mm-hmm. were able to do this in 2010. It was 102 Democrats, 101 Republicans. It was that slender, and that's the importance of these state House races. Mm-hmm. Uh, just by targeting six right. uh, states in Pennsylvania... And winning four of those six, they were able to uh, turn a 102, a 101 right. closely divided state, a state that had been sending 12 Democrats and seven Republicans to Congress, is now a supermajority Republican state with a supermajority hmm. in the state house. Yeah. And by the time that the state the Supreme Court in January tossed out the map, there is an unconstitutional partisan gerrymander in violation of the free and fair elections clause in the state constitution. Now the Republicans are talking about impeaching those state yeah, Supreme right. Court justices. And yeah. if they're serious about it and they want to do it, they've got super majorities in both of these chambers thanks to the that same they, gerrymander. Thanks to the same gerrymander. So, uh, again, it was targeting. I mean, they didn't just raise the money. They really did some very smart targeting. They okay. did smart targeting. Right. They raised the money. And then the following year, they used... Uh, that they paid for the map makers and the software and the big data, mm-hmm. all this talk now about Cambridge Analytica and the amount of specific targeting that is possible to be done. All of this was also possible in 2011. Right. We talk so, about the hacking of our democracy in 2016. The exact same data and information was being used by Republican map makers in 2011 to draw these lines. All right. So let's stick to Pennsylvania for a while. So so what happened in Pennsylvania, and, and we're seeing the impacts of it now, uh, the um, the redistricting was challenged. The U.S. Supreme Court or the Pennsylvania Supreme yes. Court said, yeah, it's uh, it's it's not fair. It's not a level playing field, right? Exactly. It's it's specifically drawn to help Republicans get elected and to dilute votes. And to dilute votes, therefore invalid. Therefore, they've got to come up with new a new 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 set of maps, right? Exactly. Which and they did. They which did Republicans it. rejected, and then the Supreme Court said, "We're going to go out and have a special master draw these maps." Uh, they they yeah. brought in a professor at Stanford who's highly Respected, mm-hmm. very impartial. Mm-hmm. He came up with 18 districts that uh, 10 of them went f- for Donald Trump and eight of them went for Hillary Clinton. It's a relatively fair map. And you see what has happened in Pennsylvania since. And Not elect- only the yeah. r- r- retirements of Ryan Costello, of folks who simply do not want to run without having an incredibly tilted advantage, but you also see just how tenaciously Republicans are clinging to these rigged maps in that they're talking about, you know, fighting this. And not only have they taken this twice to the U.S. Supreme Court, but now they're talking about impeaching the state Supreme Court justices 
and yeah. they did this. It's almost like they know that they can't stand alone on their policies. They have to yeah. figure out ways no, to disenfranchise yeah. voters and yeah. screw up the system. If yeah. we can't, if we can't cheat, we can't win. Right. There are all right. sorts of folks out there who want to discount the power of these lines and the importance of gerrymandering. Well. Take a look at how tenaciously politicians cling to their rigged maps if you want to know just how important this is to them. Right. So at the present time, the Supreme Court, so again, state legislature appeals to the Supreme Court. You've got to, you've got to hear this case and, and, and resolve the Supreme Court says, no, no, we'll let the uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court decision stand. Uh, the they, have threat, they have threatened to impeach. They haven't moved on that yet, Correct. Not yet. They'd have to. What, they're talking about it. They'd have to impeach the entire court. There are four justices <clears throat> who they have targeted. Four. Four. Yeah. Uh, but they're kind of running out of time too. We'll see. They? I mean, it depends on how quickly they w- want but to move on this. In the meantime, uh, we just. Oh, had I don't a... think that they could change this map in time in for the twenty eighteen for... midterms. Right. Okay. Uh, could they uh, impeach these justices? Yes, still. Yes. Right. However, the map is the map. But the map. Is the map for the 2018 now so that, for example, we just we've talked so much about Pennsylvania 18, Connor Lamb, Rick Saccone. Uh-huh. Um, Connor Lamb wins. Now he will be running again in November in the new district, and Rick Saccone will be running in his new district. Everybody will be running in the new districts this fall. This had been a 13 5 Republican <laughs> state without a single seat budging in 12, 14, or 16. Mm-hmm. Suddenly now there are anywhere between four to six possible Democratic pickups in this state, suddenly Pennsylvania might actually have a congressional delegation that... <laughs> that reflects... Reflects the uh, sense of the people. Why is that important? Well, because partisan uh, balance matters in a representative a democracy. What we have in Ohio, uh, 12 Republicans and four Democrats, you know, it's not a 75-25 state. Um, and if people want to be represented fairly, uh, there has to be some measure of partisan balance. And then you look at what these um, a tilted a gerrymandered state legislatures and Congress are able to do. They're able to uh, pass legislation that the states are not are not in favor of. So the emergency manager bills in Flint or or all kinds of voter ID and voter mm-hmm. oppression tactics and in, in state after state uh, transgender bathroom bills in North Carolina, anti-labor bills, all of the abortion bills are moving through uh, state legislatures. And the politicians are insulated from the voters in these non-competitive districts. So they are able to push an extreme agenda and there are be, becomes harder and harder to hold them accountable for that at the ballot box, the way that, that a, a democracy is supposed to actually work. Okay. Now, the Supreme Court then said, okay, we're not going to pick take up Pennsylvania. But they did take up the state of um, Wisconsin. Yes. And arguments were heard, and now they're just under consideration. Is that correct? Exactly. There are two big partisan gerrymandering cases at the court. You have Wisconsin, which is Gill versus Whitford, and that's a challenge to the state assembly maps there that Mm -hmm. Republicans drew in 2011. There are 99 seats in that legislature, Democrats Back in 2012, got 174,000 more votes. Republicans still took 60 of the 99 <laughs> seats, and they've only added more in the in the subsequent years. A a three judge, a federal panel, called this an unconstitutional partisan gerrymander. 
tossed the maps out. It was the first time in decades that a court had taken this step. And then there is Benisek versus Lamone, and this is a case out of Maryland having to do with a single congressional district there. And the court is going to hear this case tomorrow, oral arguments at the Supreme Court on Wednesday on, on this. And this is the, or really it's the best and in some ways, the only example of a Democratic gerrymander huh. in this last No, this last Democrats yes, gerrymander, too. They most certainly do. Hey, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is just one congressional district. Of course, this is it's a single reflected, district. though. I mean, the yes. whole principle is what's being challenged here, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the court will, do you see then, t- they... Are they going to lump these two together and come out with a ruling? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it, 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 they could just, I guess, go. This one is not good, and that one's not good. Or they could go step up and and address the entire question of how districts are drawn. Correct. And that's my sense of what, what do you they'd expect? Probably like to do. They they surprised a lot of people when they called the Maryland case up. They had already heard oral arguments in Wisconsin. And then they moved. I have to call Ruth today and ask yeah. her what she's going to do. Ask about her what's this. up. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. <laughs> the, 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 the key person is Justice Kennedy. If you can call him up and ask him, I think I think then you'll have a better sense of where this I'm not is sure going. I still have his home. Yeah, um, <laughs> but it's yeah. two different cases. In that, in Wisconsin, really, it's a Fourteenth Amendment case, and and folks are saying that 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 gerrymander is a dilution of of equal protection and one person and one vote, and there's an entire measure, um, a toolbox full of statistical um, analyses that show when a gerrymander has gone too far. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts referred to this as sociological gobbledygook back in October in oral arguments there. In Maryland, it's a First Amendment argument, and the uh, plaintiffs there, the Republican voters, are arguing that by the Democrats using partisan data to completely overhaul the 6th Congressional District in Maryland. They moved 350,000 voters in and out of that district in order to remake it into a, a, to a fairly solid Democratic district. That What they did was they penalized re- Republican voters in this district for their political opinions. Yeah. Um, and that that's a strict a First Amendment violation and that the court – doesn't necessarily have to buy into all but of these social There's an underlying argument, states. it seems to me, in both states and in other states, which is that districts are drawn for partisan yeah. political purposes. Somehow, whatever whatever tricks they use, however they do it, uh, and that that does not reflect the people in that state and therefore is not a level playing field, therefore is not... Un- so they could say... Um, uh, well, what are their options? One is they could draw new lines themselves, which they're not going to do. They don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. Uh, they could say what you need is uh, maybe like in California, a panel of experts to draw the districts and take it out of the hands of the politicians. But that has to be – they can't order they that. They can't mandate It would that, have to be no. done state by state, right? Or, I think that's exactly but right. But they could suggest that that's what should happen? Or I think that they – well, the, Or can they say you have to follow these guidelines – uh, they could Every say district that has to follow. Here, here are ten principles that you have boxes you have to check. You could certainly mandate criteria and in order. Now, w- w- what the court does, as far as as racial gerrymandering, is there are specific 
uh, rules laid out mm-hmm. that you are not allowed to um, to cross as far as using race data when it comes to uh, drawing congressional districts. Um, so I think that the that the sense is from the Maryland folks who would like to see a First Amendment precept applied here is that, well, if you can't use race data, simply don't use partisan data. Well, but the fact is they do use race data all the time, don't they? I mean, they kind of put all the African-Americans together in one district. What they say, however, is that they're not doing a racial gerrymander. They say that they're doing a partisan gerrymander. And And that precise argument is why it's so important at a time when most African-Americans and minorities vote a Democratic to have the court weigh in on partisan gerrymandering as well, because otherwise it gives Republicans in the South a huge loophole. All right. But now that may, uh, that particularly kind of gerrymandering, I think we've seen in states like North Carolina, which is another state with a big problem and another state, right, where the Supreme Court threw it out. The, Am I correct? And where have, is that now? You have had two different cases in North Carolina this year as far as a racial gerrymander and also as a partisan gerrymander. In the partisan gerrymander case, a three-judge a three judge federal panel threw out the entire map in North Carolina, the entire congressional map. It was invalidated back in January as mm-hmm. a, a particularly invidious partisan gerrymander. Right. The, the language was very strong it was, in that it case. It was striking. Yeah. And the U.S. Supreme Court put a stay on that order uh, pending their decisions uh, uh, in, in Maryland Wisconsin. and Wisconsin, which I imagine we can expect by June. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, the problem there is, unfortunately, it beco- it probably becomes too late for a new map in North Carolina in, North Carolina in 2018. This year. And right. North Carolina is a 10-3 Republican map. It's a 10-3 map as the... As the House Speaker said, because I don't think I can draw an 11-2 map. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Yes, indeed. And, and again, that does yeah, not reflect North Carolina. does not reflect North Carolina, which probably ought to be a 7-6 state, which has been 8-5 both mm-hmm. uh, ways recently. <laughs> but, I mean, here we are, and it's 2018. We are four elections into this redistricting cycle, and elections are still being held on unconstitutional maps. This has dramatically affected our politics over the course of this decade. Sure. And it's tilted sure. it in in an extreme How about Virginia? Direction. Now, Virginia, uh, Democrats were able to do very well in the uh, legislative uh, elections last year, picking up 15 seats. But St- they got more votes and could not take control. Right. But, I mean, they did, I guess the point I was making is they, they did very well, even though they were running in the old gerrymandered districts. You had a blue wave in Virginia last year in which Democrats picked up 15 state, uh, fifteen seats in the House of Delegates. Yeah. Most people thought that they would uh, cap out somewhere around six or yeah. seven. Yeah. Uh, they doubled that. Uh, they won 220,000 more votes. So it and proves yet, that you can win even in gerrymandered you, districts. It proves that you can win some elections, but it proves that there is a high wall to crash as far as control of the chamber. Republicans still hold that chamber, 51-49, even though Democrats got 220,000 more votes More votes than year. Republicans, and yeah. That's, that just and that's how gerrymandering... Head. No, it does. This yeah. is like Al Gore. Yeah. You know, or really like is. Hillary. Yeah. Sure. You get more votes, but you lose. A gerrymandering is the, <clears throat> is the red seawall. And yeah. if there's a blue wave coming, uh, there's a red seawall <laughs> trying to hold it back. 
And in Virginia, it was successful. So I have an idea. Why don't you draw the districts? I would be happy to. I've got a pen right here, Bill. (laughs) Uh, He's for hire. Uh, David Daly here. Uh, Any state of legislators watching, you know, you've got a little problem in your state, straighten it out. Give me a call. You can put a little team together, right, Uh, and uh, move in there and and just look at the the demographics and the community interests. You, me, and Peter, let's go out there to uh, Ohio and fix this. Let's do it. In Ohio, they they got themselves a I'll tell you one thing. If I drew the map, man, (laughs) there'd never be another Republican elected. Blue wave, blue seawall, blue everything. (laughs) Blue, blue, blue. David Daly, always good to see you. Pleasure. Thank you. All right. Uh, Give our our best to our friends on the court yesterday and Aswin Subsang from Daily Beast comes in with his inside story about what's really happening in the Trump White House. You'll be surprised. The Bill Press Show carries on with you. Stay with us. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Lawyer, lawyer, looking for a lawyer. Donald Trump trying to find a lawyer he can hire, but it looks like nobody wants to work for him. What do you say? Hello, everybody. It is a Tuesday, March 27. So good to see you today. The Bill Press Show rolling into hour number two here with all of you all across this great land of ours. We're coming to you coast to coast with all the news of the day. Uh, Congress is out of town, so not much happening there, but still a lot going on at the White House and around the rest of the country We'll bring you up to date and look forward to hearing from you about what it all means to you. Top stories today. Yes, indeed. Apparently, uh, two more lead attorneys in Washington, D.C. have turned Donald Trump down. Uh, don't want to represent him. Uh, the the numbers of those lawyers who have said no seems to be is adding up. Uh, meanwhile, the Stormy Daniels uh, story is still the big thing down at the White House. They can't shake her. Uh, and it's gotten so messy down there that even Donald Trump's lawyers have now hired lawyers uh, to represent them. So we have several layers of legal representation uh, fighting off the charges or the story of Stormy Daniels uh, and her attorney, Michael Avenatti. Um, Nobody knows this whole inside story better than our good friend Aswin Subsang from The Daily Beast, who is in studio with us this morning. Hello, Swin. Nice to see you. Good morning, Bill. Have you had your latest tweets from the president this morning? Is he tweeting this morning? I haven't even checked. You know, I haven't looked either. No, not too much, if at all. I, no. I, I can't follow him. Taking I a break. through the whole... Taking a break. Twitter and to, really taking a break from uh, uh, Stormy Daniels and not talking about her, which I want to ask you uh, about mm-hmm. as well. 
So uh, it's you and me and Aswin Subsang here for the next uh, half hour, and Peter, of course, and Ray and the of rest course. of the team. Um, give us, let us know what you think about the news of the day on Twitter at BP Show. We'll jump right into it. But first, Peter is the full court press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Uh-huh. Now, this is a scary story. Yesterday, there were multiple, multiple bombs that were found in the D.C. area. Suspicious packages containing explosive materials were mailed on Monday to military installations around Washington, D.C. Fort Belvoir in Virginia and Mm. Fort McNair in Washington each received suspicious packages yesterday. They tested them and found out that there was black powder and residue that had a fuse attached. That is according to The Hill. So, like, very, very scary story, especially after the stuff that we talked about with Austin, Texas and the bomber there. Uh, very similar to that. Very, very similar to that. In the, in the difference is, of course, that it's being sent to military installations here in Washington, D.C. Yesterday in Kentucky, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said something very, very controversial, which should not be. Did you know that hemp is on the controlled substances yes, list? Yes, I do. Yeah. No, well, it's stupid. Remember, this is not pot. This is no. not medicinal marijuana. It's hemp, yeah. which you can smoke five pounds of hemp and not get high. Well, yesterday, Mitch McConnell was in Kentucky, and he said he saw lots of products from Kentucky-grown hemp, and he said he is going to put forward a motion to get hemp off of the controlled substance list. Now, before you get too excited, he did go on to clarify that hemp is very, very different than, quote, its illicit cousin. (laughs) <laughs> meaning marijuana. But he says he is going to introduce a bipartisan bill in the Senate to continue to support uh, the Kentucky industry, the Hemp Farm Act of 2018. So he says hemp will finally be legalized uh, as an agricultural commodity and remove it from the list of controlled substances. Some people smoke hemp, don't they? I mean... You would be foolish to smoke hemp. I, I've never known anybody to smoke hemp, right? But, but hemp is essentially like the fiber and stuff like that that you get from yeah. the, the, the the plant, whereas the bud is the stuff that you smoke, you know, for the good stuff. But hemp itself, you really, it wouldn't do you much good to smoke it. So he says, hey, screw it. So drink Kentucky bourbon instead. Drink Kentucky bourbon instead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Choice of products. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Yep, good weather across the rest of the country. The storm, though, is hitting 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, causing so much turmoil down there that even the president's lawyers are hiring lawyers. Uh, Several layers of lawyers in the Stormy Daniels matter. Hello, everybody. We are the Bill Press Show. You are part of it, and welcome to the program on this Tuesday March 27, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill. And it's great to join you all across this great land of ours online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you also on television on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and out in the greater Chicago area on the great progressive voice of Chicago, WCPT in studio. As our guest uh, for the next uh, half hour, Aswin Sibseng, good friend of ours, wonderful guest, always 
Uh, lots of inside information uh, from the White House uh, for the Daily Beast. Swin, it's good to see you. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. Did Donald Trump watch Stormy Daniels Sunday night? From people we've talked to in the White House, they all say almost definitely yes. And what is he saying about it? And why hasn't why has he tweeted? The New York Times reports this morning twenty nine hundred tweets since he took office, not one mm-hmm. about Stormy Daniels. Isn't that kind of unusual for well, Donald it's Trump? It's because this particular news story happens to be making him um, rather uncomfortable. And it, it is a perfectly fair question for people to ask why this one? And also, why did uh, Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, who at the time was working for the Trump organization, uh, facil- facilitate this uh, $100,000 plus uh, payment of hush money to her? Why her? Like, what made this case so special? Not all the other, um, <laughs> or any of uh, other specific allegations that came out during that October mm-hmm. 2016 on rush of sexual harassment, sexual assault, and also, in this case, consensual sex-related allegations against then-future President Donald Trump. Uh, what I found in a uh, reporting I did with my colleague Kate Bricolet at the Daily Beast um, that published um, just over this weekend was that during one possible explanation to mm-hmm. that uh, very fair question is during the end of the campaign, during October 2016, according to uh, three senior uh, former Trump campaign officials who I spoke to for the story, they all independently noticed that during that month, uh, Donald Trump started asking about the specific dates of stories and allegations that were coming out against him uh, post the um, Access Hollywood tape Mm -hmm. uh, coming out in the Washington Post. And uh, aides would start to notice that if the date of whatever story fell within the time frame of his, the early stage of his marriage to Melania Trump and around the time of uh, the birth of their son, Barron, he would start to care more and press them more on it and ask questions about it. And each of these aides independently came to the conclusion rather quickly that Donald Trump's real concern in doing that wasn't over allegations of misconduct, things like assault or harassment, you know, the really mm-hmm. bad so- sometimes perhaps even illegal stuff. It was really about, in this case, his concern over, and I'm quoting uh, one of the aides here, quote-unquote, pissing off Melania. And um, so that sort of tells you at the very least what uh, candidate Trump's frame of mind at the end of 2016 was regarding these stories. So one of the reasons, uh, if I hear you correctly, that Trump may not be tweeting about Stormy Daniels is because that would he knows that would further inflame right uh, and embroil the whole controversy and thereby piss off Melania. It's yes, and as uh, I mean, I, she can't be happy with it as it is now. Correct. But for him to be involved in a back and forth and all of that, that that would really escalate the. Oh, of course. And yeah. uh, look, I, I've asked um, multiple multiple people close. Uh, to Trump about if, and the Trump family, about, okay, is there a possibility that back during this um, alleged affair that uh, Melania Trump knew about it? Was there an open marriage situation going on? I mean, Trump, after Mm -hmm. all, does have a longstanding reputation as a playboy, even throughout the course of all three of his marriages. Um, 
it's nobody has really been able to give a straight answer to be. It's not clear if what the president, now President Trump, was concerned about was this these allegations getting out and Melania being blindsided by them because she'd never heard about them or never believed them, or if she just would not want this in the press. It's uh, it's unclear to me which if, which side is true. But either way, and the New York Times has also reported this, according to people close to Melania, that she has been furious about this going back um, months now, ever since the story first broke in the Wall Street Journal early this year. Now, <coughs> how do you square that with the fact that according to Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels, as I've heard them, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, both of them say that Trump invited them to Trump Tower, and both of them ask about Melania, and he told them both, don't worry about her, um, we have separate bedrooms. Uh, I mean, if he's worried about Melania and, 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 he, and he's taking them to his palace in Trump Tower, I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty well, risky, he, huh? Sure, sure. And uh, we nobody here would ever accuse... Uh, uh, President Trump of being careless, especially when it has to do with things like his ego. No, no, <laughs> no, that's no one right. would ever no. <laughs> suggest that. But, um, but in terms of uh, none of that is uh, mutually exclusive with him not wanting to enrage his yeah. current wife. And um, and there are certain lines you do not cross. There's something uh, Donald Trump is someone, uh, especially in <laughs> politics, notorious for saying different things to different people. And I don't doubt that that, that extends to his love life. There are. Um, I never thought I'd be talking about the president's sex life this much, but here we are. Here we are. I didn't. I didn't either. Not since Bill Clinton. Um, there are amazing, not amazing, but there's stro strong parallels, similarities between the story told by Karen Dan McDougal and Stormy Daniels. Yeah, it's good, good doubt, right? They both met him in Tahoe. Took them both to the Beverly Hills Hotel. Took them both to Trump Tower. Paid them both. They were each paid different ways for, to not to talk. He allegedly told them both. They reminded him of his daughter. Mm -hmm. um, do, do those similarities, what do they tell you, that these two women are more likely to be telling the truth than not or just a coincidence? And, and by the way, and, and both affairs, according to them, happened roughly at the same time, 2006 into 2007, that time right after his marriage to Melania and the birth of Baron. I mean, the um, I think something else that gives their stories even more credence and credibility is that you're seeing evidence and not only current testimony on the record, but also in certain cases, I think particularly with Stormy Daniels, a paper trail of her telling people this in real time as it happened um, years ago. So mm. in yeah. all these cases, if... There's a conspiracy of lies just to humiliate or or, or, or or shame Donald Trump among these women. They've been playing the long game. <laughs> and that um, and that scenario seems fairly unlikely to me, doesn't it to you? Yes. And, but... uh, and also like and I, I would uh, let me get your perspective on this, because I think you and I see eye to the eye on this. The thing I care about as a reporter, as a citizen, as a voter, whatever much more than this stuff, much more than the hush money, is the deluge of assault and harassment allegations Absolutely. that have came out against this president, which are far more significant, I think, than uh, tales of consensual sex. But he has been successful in beating every one of those down, calling these women liars, um, basically th 
I, I don't mean physically threatening them, but for, through his lawyers, you know, kind of forcing them to drop it, get out of the way, run away. There's only one of those cases that is still alive, which is the Summer Zervos case, which I think is a real threat to Donald Trump. It's in the New York Superior Court, mm-hmm. as we know. And that's the one that could really come back, I think, and bite him in the ass because it is sexual assault. So the one thing about Stormy Daniels, I mean, was, she was very clear. She said, I'm not a victim. This was totally consensual. Right. Absolutely. So it is a, it's, it, it's totally on and, a different plane. But at the same time, she... You must admit, she is so media savvy, and she's got a media savvy mm-hmm. attorney, and they are not going away. Absolutely. And I am not at all to say that this is a story. I, I think it's a very Mm-mm. interesting, fascinating, a big story that deserves a lot of attention, also for the public interest um, um, aspects, including potential campaign finance That's... Uh, law violation. Um, so, so they're, they're... By the way, just to stop there for a second, because sure. I don't think enough people are paying attention to that. Anderson Cooper got into it a little bit on Sunday night, too. On 60 Minutes, yeah. On 60 Minutes, which is if Michael Cohen gave this money to Stormy Daniels 11 days before the election to influence the outcome of the election, and it was not reported as a campaign contribution, it's a violation of campaign law, and right. the FEC could charge Donald Trump or Michael Cohen or both, right, with violation of election sure. law. That's well, where this could become which, a real legal problem. Funny enough, though, if this really was about just not ticking off Melania and it was a personal thing, then that would actually make that void. But that aside, like the president's top attorney at the time, or well, the current president's then Republican candidate, Donald Trump's uh, attorney, orchestrated hush money to a... Uh, to a porn star to keep her from talking about then uh, 2016 presidential candidate Donald Trump. Regardless of what you think of the importance of that, that is a tremendously interesting and um, extremely newsworthy story. There's no way you can say, like looking at this, no matter how big of a supporter you are, and objectively say that that isn't newsworthy if this were on the other foot and it was president or candidate Barack Obama. Of course oh. you'd be all over it. And also, a uh, thing I tell people who keep trying to t- tell me and other reporters, it's like, oh, you guys are blowing something up that isn't even a big deal. Nobody cares about this. Well, a lot of people do care about this, maybe to varying degrees of intensity than other people. But also, um, it, it, it's, it's funny to me that um, for a president who is so obsessed as Donald Trump is with media gossip and a reality TV mindset um, – that for for his supporters to think that this isn't a story. In fact, a person who would probably think this is a huge, major, um, juicy, attention-grabbing story, um, it, if the story did not have Donald J. Trump's name attached to it, is probably Donald, Donald Trump. Donald J. Trump, right. This, yeah. th- oh, this is something tailor-made for right. this presidency in terms of yeah. viewership. And also we know from Donald Trump's media consumption habits that this is something that if it didn't have his name attached to it, of course he'd be tweeting up a storm about it. Of course he'd be hitting the cable news airwaves yeah, to go on no, and on about good, it. That's a good point. Um, if anybody knows, um, you know. Uh, so I'm going to ask you, um, what's on that DVD that Michael Avenatti showed a picture of saying... If one, if a photo is worth a thousand words, imagine what this is worth. What do you think could be on that DVD? Peter, I, I, Peter and I have been speculating. It, it. I love how, like, when it, <coughs> when they first sort of hinted at other things being out there, mm-hmm. that 
Twitter immediately jumped to, oh, we're gonna see we're gonna see pictures of Donald Trump naked. Right. Well, that's just like yeah. what people immediately jump to because right. the way that Avenatti said it and put it out there, he said, said, like, we've got a lot of stuff that we haven't put out there yet. We have proof of this relationship. And they put together the connection with the DVD that he showed and said, like, oh, my God, there's either a sex tape or, you know, uh, naughty pictures that they were exchanging. I'd love to know what it is. I don't know what's on the DVD D- e- email. Is, is anybody is having uh, given any hints about it at all? Uh, he, he's dropped incredibly vague hints because, as you've um, pointed out before, he um, is very media savvy. He, he he knows how this game is played, and he is doing stuff that uh, re- reflects, if not ripping off, Donald Trump's playbook in terms of like teasing things yeah, in right. um, on social media and public appearances in in vague comments to the press and to the mm-hmm. public. Um, I don't want to speculate about nightmare scenarios that may or may not involve nudity, as Peter just sort of floated <laughs> there because uh, I want to sleep well tonight. But um, they got something. Whether or not Michael Avenatti is bluffing, as he says, he is not. Um, is is another question, and and right. also like I encourage your listeners to actually um, uh, do at least a cursory Google search, uh, sorry, search engine uh, search for Michael Avenatti because he's not someone who just came out of the blue. He's not just the quote no. unquote like porn right. star lawyer. No, he um, has is very experienced in being not just a lawyer but a spokesman for his uh, cases and his causes in the media. Um, he has a lot of experience doing this. He's been attached to many high-profile cases and big-dollar cases, and um, he is a familiar face and familiar voice and name within, like, the Hollywood press. Um, I think just recently, in the past couple of years or so, there was a story involving a possible murder, Jim Carrey, Scientology, and Michael Avenatti. <laughs> like, he's been all over the place for all kinds of these, like, celebra- celebrity yeah, gossip yeah. cases. And he is a, uh, I, I have several very close trial lawyer friends in Los Angeles, where, of course, I spent most of my media career before coming here, uh, who uh, who um, rave about how smart he is and how tough he is and how good he is. He's got a great reputation in the legal community as so, being a really solid, tough lawyer and not a bluffer, not a BSer, right? You know, he really... Do they? Uh, do your friends happen to know what his politics are? I mean, I know uh, Anderson no. Cooper mentioned that he had worked for Rahm Emanuel briefly, I think. So, and I, yeah, it would I, shock was, me if he were. I, I do. Not, I do not know his politics. I've never discussed his politics with them. It's just his legal skills. And when I heard that somehow he was involved in the Rahm Emanuel political operation, it was news to me. And I, I haven't. And I haven't followed up on that to find out more any more mm. any more about it. Yeah. Um, not that it's I, entirely that, relevant. I mean, people. Right, L- lawyers are allowed to be registered voters, as are journalists. Yeah, believe it or not, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, there's also been a little shakeup, of course, in the staff at the White House. It was a little. Uh, the chief, <laughs> pardon me, chief economic advisor is gone. National security advisor is gone. The Secretary of State is gone. Rob Porter is gone. Um, you've written about uh, how Rex Tillerson got the news, right? Oh uh, yes. Sort of. Uh, do you want me to get into it? Uh, well, a little bit about it. Not too many details. Okay, but this was about a week so and a half. So how does Rex Tillerson find out that he's fired or going to be fired? Well, this was a week and a half ago. Uh, that You my, broke the story, so. Uh, my colleague Lachlan Marquet and I at uh, The Daily Beast um, 
got this interesting little detail um, Friday early evening, about a week and a half ago. Um, earlier that Friday, John Kelly held an off-the-record meeting with White House officials and uh, um, and multiple journalists present. Um, the Daily Beast was not invited to this, and it was only made aware of it after we got details of it leaked out mm -hmm. to us mm -hmm. afterwards. I want to make that very clear. We weren't okay. invited. We didn't attend. We were not at the table there. When Correct. Yeah. We were not breaking any right. confidence or off-the-record scenario. Um, an easy way to have gotten us preemptively not to write this is to invite us to things, but this White House has a tendency <laughs> to under-invite us to things. Um, so... Um, John Kelly has all these people, White House officials and reporters, gathered in a room, you know, shooting the breeze, talking about various things, um, including kind of m making light of incoming National Economic Council director Larry Kudlow's past cocaine habit, as reported by Jonathan Swan at Axios mm -hmm. for a different story the same day. So um, throughout the course of this conversation, he, John Kelly tells the room that Oh, yeah, Rex Tillerson, over the weekend while he was in Africa, I called him to warn him that Trump would be firing him soon. I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah. And he had a stomach bug and was on the toilet <laughs> when this was happening. And officials in the room, I don't, they didn't believe he was doing anything outwardly malicious here towards Tillerson, but they were shocked that Kelly, who actually is not very good in terms of managing himself in front of members of the media, um, would tell even something story, like this, yeah. would say that to a guy who had already been like roundly humiliated by Trump yeah. and was already yeah. on the way out. Right. So uh, we wrote this up very quickly and put it up. And um, I want to be clear that the takeaway from our story wasn't so much that um, – wasn't about humiliating Rex Tillerson further. I mean, you know, he was already put in such a shabby position by his bosses. But that people were shocked that Kelly would would, would, would say this in a meeting, yeah, not just in front yeah. of a bunch of White House officials, but reporters. It doesn't matter if it's off the record. It's just, it's just weird that he would say it. And it sort of continued to point towards the shambolic nature that this West Wing operates itself and conducts itself. It, it also, and by the way... It, so, basically, it was an easy headline for us to run. John Kelly says that um, I told Rex Tillerson that Trump was going to fire him while he was on the toilet in while Africa. While he's on the toilet so in Africa. So, it's yeah. another data point in how this administration continues to and, be a parody and a satire of itself. Of itself. Well, it's so funny because, you know, there have been rumors about John Kelly being pushed out the door and Trump not being happy with him. But, like, if you were going to give them a heads up that they were going to be fired, there is no Trumpier way than oh. to come out and tell the media, yeah, I told him he was going to get fired. He was on the can when I told him. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, not right. only, not only. Yeah, yeah. No, firing just, him, but to make it as personal and as nasty and as embarrassing as possible for the person on the receiving end. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, like, I, if this was his sort of audition to tell Donald Trump, I still love you and I still want to be a part of this administration, I think he passed. Mm -hmm. I think he passed. Yeah. Which is by the why, by the way, I never take telephone calls on him when they can. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> that's just I, a good general rule of thumb. I, I, I would suggest everybody should have that. Should have that rule. Yeah. I, also, I don't want to talk to you if you're on the can. No. Okay. No. I don't, I don't even want to text with you. Talk to you. Right. That's all right. You can ignore the call if you're on the can. All right. Um, <laughs>
And meanwhile, <laughs> again, uh, the, there was seemingly no cartoonish form of degradation that hasn't right. yet emerged somewhere in some corner of the high ranks of this administration. Absolutely. And this, pro- um, this proves it. What's happening with uh, who's going to take Hope Hicks's place? There have been, again, uh, stories you've written uh, that this has become a free for all down at the White House, right? Um, the palace intrigue has extended to the um, um, senior um, positions of Trump's comms department. Yes, uh, which is you know not at all surprising given that this administration is uniquely notorious for that kind of knifing. Um, but the Hope Hicks is officially out this Wednesday, uh-huh. I believe. Uh, yes, uh, tomorrow. She, she yes, yes, tomorrow she heads back to New York. Uh, Fairly soon. And uh, I, I just want to be clear that, yes, Hope Hicks's official title is comms director, and that will leave an official power vacuum that needs to be filled and has not yet officially been filled yet. Her immediate right. successor officially has not been announced or, as far as I know from my reporting, decided yet. And it's already Tuesday. But uh, <laughs> the real void that will be felt is the fact that she is the president's binky. Uh, she is one of the president's closest um, advisors and provides not only political <laughs> and personal support and advice, but emotional support. Binky, pres- binky or pacifier? That's so, so great. Uh, uh, how, <laughs> however, however you want. She's it. the president's um, binky. So she's one of Donald Trump's longest serving aides, one of his closest advisors who he asks about everything. She, she, even though she's one of the least politically experienced or savvy people in the West Wing, she arguably knows more than yeah. anybody else and besides someone named Donald J. Trump. And, and um, closer to him than anybody else. Yes, right? like he yeah. relies on her for an yeah. emotional crutch and um, personal crutch in right. many respects. So he will viscerally feel that. And um, he has started to feel that as it gets closer and closer to actual departure date. Um, he has been more frequently than he has in the past, and he has so much so frequently in the past, uh, just called her into the Oval Office. She sits basically right outside of it, and and she'll just have to basically breeze in and out of it at at his whims. Um, uh, she 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 knows what uh, um, comes with the territory of this yeah. particular job as Trump, one of Trump's top confidants who works in the West Wing. But in terms of her official capacity as communications director, there has been a bit of palace intrigue and squabbling and knife fighting and backstabbing that has broken out in terms of who will succeed her. And so far in the past uh, couple of weeks, at least, the two top front runners for that who have emerged have been officials such as Mercedes Schlapp, who is currently director of strategic communications, Hope Hicks's old job in the White House. She's also married mm-hmm. to Matt Schlapp, who is the head of the American Conservative Union right. and another top Trump ally. And uh, Tony Sayeg, who is currently... Uh, Steve Mnuchin's uh, top mm. comms guy and uh, spokesman in the Treasury Department, who's very well liked in the White House, particularly for the kudos he has achieved for being one of the um, um, people who really did craft the messaging for the tax bill, the mm-hmm. eventually successful yeah. tax right. bill that Trump signed into law last year. <laughs> so um, the the two there there's been quite a bit of a heating up cold war. Is it between possible the two neither one of them would get the job then? I 100%. Guess. In yeah. fact, uh, some of the people we interviewed for this story as uh, the backbiting and the blame game was very apparent and getting more personal and bitter between the two of them, 
um, people were saying that if at this point Trump has not officially designated either of them in Hope's successor, Fox News personality X might have a better oh, shot God. at landing the gig than they do. Oh my, yeah, well, of course. Uh, a quick, quick final question. Um, it's reported that uh, Donald Trump, who fell in love with Joe DiGenova by watching him on TV, so invites and says, I'm going to hire him, invites him into the Oval Office, and was turned off because it said that their, his clothing, he and his wife, their clothing was disheveled. Do you have any clue as to what they wore? Um, Would they come in with flip-flops and shorts or I mean, he, and a T-shirt? or uh, he, he has a track record of looking kind of disheveled on TV. So, I mean... It, Who, Joe DiGenova? Yeah, so it shouldn't seem too He hired Steve Bannon, for God's sakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk about disheveled there, look. There's no one well, more disheveled um, than Steve right. Bannon. Don't, okay. don't know what they were wearing and can't speak to the clothing part, but I do know from people who talked to Trump directly after it that they didn't click, and that's... They didn't click. All right. Aspen Kim saying, what great, uh, you got more sources inside the White House than Donald Trump does, I think. Uh, yeah. Good Darius work. Good work. At Daily Beast, dailybeast.com. Keep it up. Come back and see us again soon. Absolutely. All right. And uh, Joe Cirincione from the Plowshares Fund. Uh, is Kim Jong un in China? We'll find out coming up next. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. And on this Tuesday, March uh, 27, uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to the program here at the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. A quick reminder to all of you out in the Chicago area, mark your calendars, April 4 at the Frugal Muse Bookstore in Darien, Illinois. We'll be there to talk about my new book, From the Left, A Life in the Crossfire, uh, and just talk about politics in general, what's happening here in Washington and what's happening in Illinois. Lots of stuff to talk about in Illinois. So come on out. We'll have a good uh, political town hall there in Darien. 6.30 p.m. Frugal Muse Bookstore in Darien. Wednesday, April 4. Look who's here. Joe Sirincioni from the Plowshares Fund. Uh, Kim Jong-un, the mysterious train arrives in Beijing. Who is on it? I don't know. We don't know, but we know where Joe is. He's right here. He's not on that train. Joe, That's how good. you doing? Uh, just great. Pleasure so to be here. So do you think here. he's there? It it seems that he is, but this is a mystery. This is like Lenin on the sealed boxcar yeah, from Finland yeah, Station. Right. You know, it's, the Bloomberg reported it in the middle of the afternoon yesterday. It seemed clear that he was going. This would be the first visit by Kim Jong-un outside his country, first meeting with any foreign uh, 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 leaders at, at that level. And then there was no, I just concern. There was that confusion. The New York Times, was he on the train yeah, or not? Yeah, right. New York Times says this morning that Kim Jong-un has never met any foreign head of state. Right. So never. President Xi, if he's there, yes. and if he meets him, that would be the first. Yes. So five so years, what does it Kim mean that he, it, Let's say he's there. What does that mean? Well, this is a good sign. This means, really? Yes, this is a good sign. He's, he's looking to coordinate with the Chinese. Remember, he has somewhat tense relations with the Chinese. Yeah. He's killed a number of people in his own... Uh, ruling clique that have been protected by the Chinese or have been affiliated with the Chinese, including his uncle, who is China's guy in Pyongyang. And, and so this would be a good sign that there's a little bit of a reconciliation, a little bit of coordination. China would like there to be a deal. So China's on our side in, in these negotiations. And it shows a little bit of planning uh, for this summit, which still hasn't been officially acknowledged by the 
the North Koreans. So it would be a good sign that something actually might happen in May. There actually might be a summit and that we might be prepared to have a deal blessed by China. So I want to go back to the, the early days of the Trump administration where Donald Trump was saying, well, we got, don't worry, we got North Korea yeah. taken care of. China's going to do it for us, right? So right. does this sort of indicate that maybe China is still a potential player here in cooling things down? Clearly a potential player. You can't ignore China. It's it's North Korea's largest trade partner. 90% of North Korea's trade is with China. China could shut the country down in an instant, but it hmm. doesn't want to. It, do, it wants yeah. to put the pressure on, but it doesn't want to cause a collapse that could lead to chaos, uh, migration, immigrants flooding across its borders, Who's, who gets the nuclear weapons under that kind of situation. So it's looking for what they call a soft landing. It would like to stabilize the situation, have North Korea open up, basically follow the Chinese model of this hybrid of communism and capitalism. Right. Um, and um, where does this lead to... Will the second foreign leader that he meets be Donald J. Trump? <laughs> if things go according to... Well, no. The second will be uh, President Moon Jae-in from South Korea. Oh, from South... Because that summit is planned oh. for the end of April. Oh, so this oh, is that's really, already planned. This is like Kim Jong-un's coming out. Yes, they have a date. They have a place. They're going to meet in the demilitarized zone. In the zone, demilitarized in what zone. They call the, the oh, peace house. I didn't realize So that will that. happen yeah. at the end of April. Yeah, it's gotten a little overshadowed. And then, supposedly, although no details have been announced, sometime in May, uh, somewhere, not clear yet, uh, Kim will meet the Donald <laughs> in one of the most bizarre photo ops of all time. Uh, the two of them might be a very strange photo, a lot of talk about hair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be odd. No, it is going to be absolutely bizarre. And now, by the way, I've said from the beginning that this isn't actually I know. going to happen. Yeah, I know you have, and I still, I still don't think it's going to happen. I, I think fifty-fifty. I'm with you, Peter. Okay. The, the, the number one thing that could happen with this summit is that it doesn't happen at all. The second is that there's actually a, a disaster that Trump thinks he's going in to pick up North Korea's nuclear weapons, and he's going to be rudely surprised to find out that Kim's not going to give up his nuclear weapons, at least. Not quickly. He's no. going he's to put his demands on the table, which are going to be substantial. So the third thing that can happen. From Why the, should he give up his nuclear weapons? He wouldn't have any leverage at all, right, if I were advising him. The, the North Koreans have pointed out repeatedly what happened to Saddam Hussein, what happened to Muammar Gaddafi, yeah. what, ha what happened uh, in Iran with the Iran deal, the U.S. breaking the deal. And the lesson they say is if you give up your weapons, America will kill you. So they're not going to just hand them over because Trump demands them. They're going to want a lot in return. But what the possibility in this trip to Beijing kind of encourages us along the line. Uh, the third possibility is that they both, Kim and Trump and China and South Korea, have so much vested in the success of this presidential summit, leadership summit, that whatever happens, they'll both declare it a success. Mm -hmm. There will be enough given. Maybe North Korea will release some yeah. of the prisoners that they're holding. Uh, maybe they'll agree on a process. Maybe there'll be some economic assistance that Trump can offer, and they'll declare it a success. You know, Trump is getting to the position in his presidency where he really needs some kind of foreign victory. Now, uh, there's a new wrinkle in leading up to this meeting, which is we have a new, or two new wrinkles. We have a new Secretary of State uh, and a new National Security Advisor. Yes. Uh, let's start 
with the disaster named John Bolton. Um, I've seen several stories. It's just nobody realizes how bad this could be. I have never seen a reaction like this to to a, a national security nomination. I mean, it's it's really across the board. It's only the the hardcore right that is applauding this. Uh, conservatives are criticize, criticizing it. Neo conservatives. Almost every major newspaper has scathing editorials against it because John Bolton has proved to be a real bomb thrower. I mean, literally a bomb thrower, someone who is against diplomacy, and here he would be, would be appointed to a position where he's supposed to coordinate all the tools of U.S. power, military, diplomatic, economic, etc. Uh, he's not known as someone who, who uh, abides other people's uh, positions, is able to integrate contrary mm-hmm. views, so which is the essential role of a national security advisor. I was just going to say that's his job as national yeah. security advisor. So no, this is, this is, he's, a, he's, a, he's a liar. He's a bully. Um, the only and qualification for the job is that he fits right in with John, Donald Trump's temperament. And he's an ultra hawk yeah. right, in terms of use of military. He has said we have every right to bomb North Korea. He, he has written, written the Wall Street Journal. just recently, time to bomb North Korea. He's written you know, to, to bomb Iran. He, he was one of the chief architects of the lies behind the, the war in Iraq. You know, his track record is terrible. There is nothing to recommend this man for national security advisor except that Donald Trump likes him. Uh, yeah, except that he had a job on Fox News. Yes, right. his, his audition on Fox News. Do we know anything about Mike Pompeo and his foreign policy credentials, interests, inclinations? Very similar to to Bolton. I mean, they're, they're peas in a pod. Uh, maybe a harsh smooth, critic. Maybe smoother, I guess, right? Yeah, a little more polished. Yeah, you know, right. he was an but, elected member of Congress. Um, a fierce opponent of the Iran deal. Certainly is going to encourage Donald Trump to make to commit that disastrous decision in, in national security. Um, hawkish on North Korea. I was in Aspen last July at the Aspen Security Forum, and I heard him say that we should separate Kim from his nuclear. Uh, uh, weapons, this this regime change idea. Mm. And that's his mold. You know, military is the first option, not just one of the tools you have. If you don't like what a government's doing, overthrow it. So Pompeo, and he, this might be the key hearing that we have in April. April 12th is the Pompeo hearing. I don't know if you've had other guests on the show talking about the opposition that's grown to Pompeo, mm. the movement to block his appointment. You can't block Bolton. That is not a confirmable position, but you can block Pompeo. So you have a lot of groups, uh, Indivisible, Move On, Win Without War, the new National Security Action that was formed by Jake Sullivan and Ben Rhodes, CAP, Center for American Progress, all coming out against against uh, Pompeo. Pompeo. To this ban is not fit to be Secretary of State. Um, Well... Uh, yeah, be tough getting that vote against him, but it's good to know that that yeah. opposition is building, and somebody will they'll be making the strong the the, yeah. the strong the strong case. But as you point out, we're stuck with Bolton un, unless Donald Trump realizes he can't stand the mustache. I guess uh, after all, Josie Ansoni is our guest here from the Plowshares Fund. It's Plowshares P L O U G H Shares dot org. 
uh, Joe is wearing a very attractive Jerry Garcia tie today. Oh, that that is exactly right. I, 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 I can spot him a mile Turn away. Turn the card I'm, over, Jerry I'm, Garcia. I'm, I know, I'm very jealous of this Jerry Garcia <laughs> tie that Joe has on this morning. Uh, Bolton has also said, right, that uh, the Iran deal, tear it up, throw it away. Yes. And you know he's going to be pushing Donald Trump to do that. Yes. And so there's, there's pushback from the national security establishment of the United States who think this is a, a, a good deal. The president has to decide by May 12th whether to waive the sanctions again. It's like every six months, isn't it? Is More it? or less. Every 120 yeah. days oh, he has okay. to decide right. to do this. Yeah. And, and Trump has said he won't do it. He's going to tear up the deal. Well, all our allies, our European allies, are apoplectic. They want him to stay in the deal. China, Russia want him to stay in the deal. European Union. Uh, the national security establishment of the United States, our intelligent leadership. Tillerson wanted them in. Mattis wants right. them in. McMaster. Oh, wait a minute. Tillerson's uh -oh. gone. Yeah. McMaster's gone. So the control rods are coming out of the reactor. And so what's going to happen here? So others are, are trying to step into this breach. I was proud to, to sign uh, this letter from 120 national security leaders, in, including Bill Perry and Brent Scowcroft and Mike mm. Hayden. Uh, so some former national security advisors, former yes. secretaries of state, I'm sure. Y yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. four in, former ambassadors to Israel, et cetera, mm. on, on this who have served both Republicans and Democrats, saying, stay in the deal. Here are 10 good reasons why you should stay in the deal, leading with that this is essential to U.S. national security, and it is essential to the regional security. We'll be much worse off without this deal. It'll be destabilizing to tear up this deal, and it allows Iran to then restart its nuclear sure. program with oh, no yeah. restraints whatsoever, with no plan on how to replace it. Trump doesn't have a plan B. He just wants to tear up plan A. And this letter is addressed to the Donald president, Trump. to Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, it was sent this week. It, it was sent yesterday. Yesterday. And a, front, a story in the New York Times today on it. Uh, Mike Hayden, uh, who, former top intelligence official, has a, a great article from the conservative point of view why he signed this up in uh, Cypher Brief uh, today as well. And other stories are now percolating out about this, the letter. And uh, of course, probably too early to expect any response, but... Um. <laughs> <laughs> response. I'm not sure we expect a response. It's just, you know, part of the, doing everything you can to try to convince the president to stay in the lane, to, to not not blow up one of the key pillars What of are Republicans security. in Congress doing about this, if anything? Have they expressed public support for staying in the deal? Yes. I mean, uh, you, uh, Bob Corker or... So, a, exactly. There's some The Republicans, Bob Corker's a fan of the deal. He He's afraid that Trump will pull out of it. He said that last uh, t uh, Sunday, a week ago, um, in, a, in an interview, he's afraid the president would pull out. But no one really knows with this president... Uh, is it a game? Is it a strategy? Or is it, as the New York Times says uh, last week, uh, he wakes up every morning not knowing what he's going to do? What he's going to do that day. Yeah. Which, which I think is the case until he watches Fox and Friends. Yes. Yeah. Fox and Friends is running the country. That's what you ought to do. You ought to get somebody on Fox and Friends to say what a great deal this is. Let's see if we can get Mike Hayden on Fox and Friends. He could, he could, he's <clears> got <throat> the creds to go on there. Let's see what. Uh... Or get Doocy Doocy. I think that's the problem. He has the cred, so he won't go on there. Like, he's uh, too credible. Yeah, or won't be invited on there because exactly. he has the cred. I did see, uh, I think I'm quoting directly, but I know uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu came out 
and said, um, you have to choose between Europe or the United States on the Iran deal. Who do you side with? Europe wants to stay in it. The U.S. wants to get out. You got to choose Europe or the United States, one way or the other. That's, well, what, that's what Netanyahu, who has been an opponent of this deal from the very beginning. Yes, but his national security establishment isn't. I mean, is that just, right? Just on Sunday, there was a panel in Israel, and you had four former defense ministers saying, "Stay in the deal," because the Israeli military and the intelligence they understand this thing works. You have you have ripped apart. Iran's program shrunk it to a fraction of its size, froze it for a good 15 years with the tremendous verification tools on top of it. This is a good deal for Israel. It's only the the politics that kind of that, that lead Netanyahu and and Trump to oppose it. It's not a sound national security rationale. What's your read on the fact that uh, Donald Trump, who has not criticized Vladimir Putin at all for mm. anything? Uh, suddenly turned around yesterday and expelled 60 diplomats. Yes, as part of a concerted allied effort. I mean, this is the most coordinated anti-Russian action we've seen this administration take. It's 23 su- nations all y- together yeah, know, kind o- of getting Britain's back. Yeah, right? over 115 Russian s- yep. spies, agents mm-hmm. uh, expelled. I mean, you've come across these kind of guys. I certainly did. When I was in the House Armed Services Committee, I had a friend from the embassy who would come and visit me, Victor. Victor came. Very nice guy. <laughs> very funny. There's a man named Victor at the door who wants to see you. It's, it's true. Very friendly, and it's just part of their job. They go around collecting data, you know. Vladimir is at the door. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And that and this is their job. And, of course, Washington has a – New York has a lot of them. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. He expelled, we expelled the most. Well, 60. I, I, I really laughed out loud last night at watching the news when they said – these are people who uh, are spies, but they're there. It's whatever the language is. They're like they're really spies, but they're there under the cover of doing educational work yes. or whatever. I said we do the same thing. We do the <laughs> oh, same yes. thing in yes, every we country. Do. We do absolutely. You absolutely. go to our embassies. There's always people there who are spies, right? And they have they're in charge of I don't know whatever cultural exchanges sure. or something. And I have. Yeah. Uh, colleagues right. from the Korean embassy and the Japanese embassy, who I'm sure are doing intelligence collection as well. I mean, this is mm-hmm. this is part of the, the turf, and they invite me to lunch, and I'm sure. So it's just part of their their network. Yeah. But but the Russians, it was, you got to you got to give it to this administration. I don't yes, know who right. did it, but the president went along with it. This is the strongest action he's taken yet uh, against Russia. It's not against Vladimir. And it's not – he still hasn't acknowledged that Russia has penetrated our system right. and interfered in our election. But at least he's willing to stand up for the assa- attempted assassination uh, in London. Nor, uh, as the New York Times reports this morning, out of tw- – I still can't get over this number. Since he's been in office, Donald Trump has sent out 2,900 tweets plus yeah. 2,900, more than 2,900. And he's attacked everybody who walks – Except two people, Stormy Daniels and Vladimir Putin. Yes, yes. Not, not a one critical word about Vladimir Putin. Right, and why? And, and you know why is that? Because they both have something on him. They both have I, something. He's I afraid th- to attack. No, I think that's got to be the answer, right? I mean, it, it's just stunning the silence when it comes to Putin, and when it comes to Putin. Now, this another this is this issue is just developing, Joe. So uh, uh, stick with me here, but. 
the Brexit vote, which you and I both agree, I think, yeah. was a disaster yes. for the UK. Uh, and now they're negotiating to get out of it. And, and and despite that, everybody backed up Theresa May on this expelling diplomats to get even for Russia for what for this poisoning of their diplomat on, on British soil. But now it turns out that there might have been something um, not not um, kosher, maybe say, about uh-huh. the Brexit vote. Huh. Because it turns out that Cambridge Analytica uh. was involved in the demographics and the campaign against or getting for getting out of the European Union, the Brexit. Uh, Peter, we have this. So this is Chris Wiley, who was was he? He's a journalist, right? Or, He's one of the guys that worked with Cambridge Analytica. Okay. That, that's a whistleblower that came out and said, He's "Hey, a, here's all the stuff that that so we've it turns been out doing." Cambridge Analytica was sort of involved in the campaign to get out of the European Union, meaning the successful yes. Brexit vote, which raises a what's a cloud maybe over was it a legitimate was yes. this elected they hack into this election was this a legitimate vote here's chris wiley i think we really have to take a step back and look at you know do we can we be confident in the results of the referendum that's a bombshell that is a bombshell right can we be confident in the results of the referendum wow wow how did cambridge analytica become specter how right, this, right, how, right. How did yeah. this happen? This international shadowy yeah. organization yeah. Yeah. that has right. their fingers in, the, in in multiple elections. So this, multiple they get countries. this stuff. They didn't steal it. They got it from Facebook, right? Then they're selling it to the Trump campaign, and then they're selling it to John Bolton and yes. his super PAC, who got the this this data on American voters. <coughs> and now it sounds like. That whoever was running the campaign to get out of the EU was using their data, mm-hmm. and how do they use it, and how did they manipulate votes, and what was going on? It could blow this whole thing wide open. Yes, yes, it could. Which, by the way, is the one thing that could block Bolton from becoming a national security advisor. This connection to well, Cambridge oh, right. Analytica, yeah, what he that was up. doing, right. and it become could become untenable. But you know what? If he required. If, if if he required Senate confirmation, yes, he, yes, could, he, he couldn't get it. Could oh, no, no, he couldn't get it. He couldn't get it even when, before this. When, when George W. Bush nominated him to be U.N. ambassador, he couldn't get it. Repub- several Republicans said there was no way they would vote for somebody like Bolton to be U.N. ambassador. So if this he, he, if this was a confirmable position, he, he'd be dead. Right. Yeah. So this uh, Cambridge Analytica, this thing is spreading. It is not going away. Mm-mm. The more we, we learn, the more insidious it is. What we don't yet have is the direct Russian connection to Cambridge Analytica. But you have to think that can't be far away. Now, the more we learn about something else, the more insidious it is, and that is Jared Kushner's ties, financial ties, to the countries, particularly Middle East countries, that he's supposedly negotiating with. Talk to us about that. You and I remember when uh, a national security advisor was forced to resign because he accepted a gold Rolex watch from some Japanese businessmen. I no. I remember reading about that. I think I was in my <laughs> teens, Joe. <laughs> you, you were, you were yeah, yeah, just entering the field. Uh, well, this Jared Kushner has a meeting in the White House, after which the two countries that he's meeting with give him five hundred million dollars in loans, mm. a half a billion dollars. I mean, who who deals with those kind of money anyway? Yeah, I mean it's it's it's. It, 
just the story should force somebody to resign in shame. But this apparently is uh, another day at work for Jared Kushner. Just moving right along, completely connected to his business operations, completely connected to key government decisions that could affect the fortunes of the people he's, he's doing business with. Why, does, why is this man still in the White House? Why does he still have a but, temporary security clearance? But isn't he just doing what Donald Trump is doing every day? Yes. I mean, Donald Trump is, I mean, you know, his, biz, pardon me, his business interests are part of his thinking on every foreign policy decision he makes. Yes, yes. From where, where he has properties, where he doesn't, who's been good to him, who hasn't, who's staying in his hotel, who's where not. Where he spends his weekends. Right, exactly. You know, everything is making money for Trump Industries. Uh, and but but Kushner's there solely at the pleasure of the president, right? I mean, again, anybody else would be probably drummed out of office, yes, right? or disqualified from that particular portfolio. Right? They're they're talking about bouncing cabinet officials because of the price of their airplane flights or the the the, the, point, the level right. of the accommodations they they stayed at, which they should do. This is un- completely outrageous behavior, and yet the son-in-law uh, at a much greater level of grand larceny gets to stay. Yeah. It is Joe Cirincione, uh Nobody Better, the Plowshares or Plowshares.org, P-L-O-U-G-H shares.org. Uh, check it out, the great work that you do, particularly on nuclear and nonproliferation. Joe, so good to see you. Thanks for coming well, in. Well, congratulations on your book. I can't wait you to sign, sign, oh, sign thank my you. copy. Thank you. All right. This Have a good day, folks. See you tomorrow. Bill Press Show. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.